Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Good to see everyone. We uh, teach in series, meaning we take a topic and talk about it for several weeks. And we're in a seven-week series, pretty long one, uh, called Decoding Faith, Figuring Out What That Word Means. And it's a study of the Gospel of John. We're, we're kind of following along with John as he follow, follows along with Jesus. And today's topic is living as if. <clears throat> now, I want to ask you about if you know some people that we would call believe in spite of people. These are people that you come across sometimes that despite their circumstances, uh, their health, they may have health issues, relationship issues, uh, work-related issues, financial issues, uh, whatever it might be, in spite of that, they still uh, are just something remarkable about them. They're unshakable. They have a joy. They have a peace. They, they just go through life. Uh, it seems easy for them. And some of us might think, well, they're living in denial, or uh, they're not really <laughs> too bright. But that's not it. They just have a, a belief system, a faith, if you will, that allows them to, to rise above uh, their circumstances. So they are believe in spite of people. Now, <clears throat> many of us may say, well, I don't have that. I admire it. I wish I had that. I don't understand it. Uh, but I don't have that. And so when you meet one of these people, it impacts you. It has an impact on your life. And you might ask questions, well, how can they do that? Or how can they be that way? Well, this happened to a, to a pretty famous doctor I want to share with you about this morning, uh, Francis Collins. Uh, <clears throat> he was a head of the Genome Project, <laughs> where they're labeling all the, all the aspects of our DNA. It's like three billion, <laughs> uh, huge project, uh, obviously a really smart guy, but he started out as a doctor, in a, uh, as an intern in a hospital in North, rural North Carolina, and he grew up as an agnostic, his family, and so he would go into these rooms of these sick folks, and they would be dying, uh, incurable diseases, and they would have a joy, they would have a peace, they would talk about going to see their loved ones and talk about heaven. And it was just beyond his comprehension, it was just not part of his experience. And he would see this over and over again. And so, one day, he goes into a, to a room of a terminally ill lady, and she has this joy, this peace, and she's talking about going to heaven. And she asks him a question. She says, hey, doc. <clears throat> well, let's read, it. Uh, let's, let's read what he, he had to say first. But the question was this, what do you believe? You know, I know what I believe. <laughs> I believe in this. I believe in eternity. I believe in, uh, in salvation. I believe in heaven. I believe in... What do you believe? Now, here was his position early in the book, early on in the book, the language of God. A scientist presents evidence of belief or faith. If faith was a psychological crutch, which that's what he thought it was, it was just a crutch, it must be a very powerful one. At least people can face death with joy and peace. If it was nothing more than a veneer of cultural tradition, rural North Carolina, just everybody in rural North Carolina just believes this stuff. If that's all it is, why were these people not shaking their fists at God, demanding their friends and family 
Stop all this talk about loving and benevolent uh, supernatural power. And when she asked him that, what do you believe? He started to think. I'm not sure what I believe. I don't know what I believe. So he began a, 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 a search, a study for evidence about this thing these folks were talking about, this Jesus. And through his study, he became so convinced, the evidence was so strong, so powerful, he became a Jesus follower. Now, I appreciate that. Sometimes we think really smart people aren't Jesus followers. Yes, they are, because they believe in evidence, and there is evidence, and that's what this series is about. So we said it last week. We believe, we have faith, we trust God based on evidence. It's just not wishful thinking. It's just not hoping just, uh, it's, it's just all going to turn out. Now, last week, we looked at the first evidence, or the first John, we call it sign. Older in life, he, he wrote this book we called John. And it was about Jesus. The first time, text says, revealed his glory. Uh, he turned water into wine. It was a happy occasion, a wedding. And So what did that represent? Well, the stone jars are representations or icons of the covenant and traditions that Jesus had come to replace. We call it the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Judaism. Uh, It was a system to connect with God, but it was kind of, had some flaws, it wasn't great, and you had to repeat the system. So Jesus came to bring something better, better wine later, a better uh, way to connect with God later. And we said this, the disciples did not follow Jesus because of faith, because of wishful thinking. They followed because of what they saw and heard, and their faith kind of went up and down. They would see something and believe, and Jesus would say something really off the wall, and they say, ah, I don't know if we can follow this guy. And then after the crucifixion, how many believers was there? Told you this last week. Zero. Because the Messiah doesn't die. <laughs> uh, There was no believers. So their faith went up and down. After the resurrection, how many of them believed? How many disciples believed? All of them believed. Now, if you saw somebody die and three days later come back to life, would you believe? Yeah, yeah, I think you would too. (laughs) So, John wrote some other things. Uh, This is probably 50 years after Jesus. John was the last disciple to live. And he wrote some letters. The beginning of his letter to John is similar to the uh, John is similar to what we call the gospel of John, the story of Jesus. He said, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. So Jesus was God, so God existed from the beginning. Now notice this, though. Whom we have heard and seen. We've seen God. (laughs) We've seen God in the flesh. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. This wasn't make-believe. He is the word of life. That word life shows up a lot in John's writing. The one who is life itself was revealed to us. So we got to see it. And we have seen him. And so consequently, now we testify and proclaim. We're telling you that he is the one who is eternal life. Verse 3. We proclaim to you. Again, we share with you. What we ourselves have actually seen and heard. God, we believe in an invisible God. Well, God said, okay, I'm going to make it easier for you. I'm going to come in flesh that you can see, that you can touch, that you can hear. 
And Jesus said, you want to know what God is like? Look at me. And so we have a human representation of God. This was awesome. This was not, never seen before. And so these folks in Jesus' day got to see God in the flesh. Now, we said last week, John had a specific agenda. He had a specific purpose for writing his gospel. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Almost all of it's different. And he tells us at the end of his book why he wrote down or dictated what he did. Um, Chapter 20, verse 30. Uh, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs. And we're going to study the seven signs, or some people say eight signs in the book of John. But he did other things. But John didn't write all this down. In addition to the ones recorded in this book. But here's the reason. I've written these seven or eight down for a specific reason and left the others out for whatever reason. These are written so that you may continue to believe or start to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He was the Messiah, even though he died, resurrected, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, this belief, you will have life, again, eternal life in the power of his name. He's saying there's something beyond this world. There's something beyond this life. There's eternal life. There's eternal life in God's presence. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're delighted that you're here or watching. And uh, we're hoping that maybe through this study you'll be convinced also. But once you become a Jesus follower, your life is different. You see life different. And you can face death without fear. That's huge. That's the number one death fear that people have is the fear of death. As Jesus followers, we don't have to fear death. So again, we said there were seven signs. Uh, We call them miracles. John called them signs. They're signs or evidence that this Jesus was who he said he was. And he proved who he was. Now, Jesus grew up in the northern part of uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem's in the southern part, and we'll show you a map in a few minutes. And he goes back and forth. And it was always a little dangerous when he went down south to Jerusalem because that was where the religious leaders were, the Jewish uh, center of Judaism. The the temple was there. And so Jesus kind of pushed the boundaries of Judaism, and so the religious leaders pushed back. So if you read the next part of chapter 2, I'm going to give you a summary um, he goes into the temple, he's upset, they're, they're, um, they're uh, money changers in there, and they're, they're selling uh, not perfect animals, uh, uh, and so he turns a money cha- t- changer's table over, and he causes a big to-do, a t- t- big ruckus, and he gets the attention of the religious leaders, obviously, <clears throat> and uh, so that's what happens in chapter 2. He's down in Jerusalem. It actually tells us that it's during the Passover. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem, so there was others. Uh, The one last week wasn't. We talked about last week. We haven't gotten to one this week. So so, some things happened in Jerusalem. During the Passover, that's significant because several years later during the Passover is when Jesus, of course, is crucified. Now notice this phrase, many began to trust in him, and many began to believe. Well, why did they begin? 
because they saw, but they only began to believe because when you meet somebody for the first time, do you believe them? First time you meet somebody, he says, hey, whatever they tell you, do you believe it? Now, my wife tends to be more of a believing type person. I'm a skeptic. <laughs> my first reaction is not to believe it, no matter what it is. If I don't know this person, I don't trust them. But over time, I trust my wife explicitly because after 40-some years, she's been trustworthy. I have no reason not to trust her. But it, it, it had to grow that place. Trust has to grow. Belief has to grow. So when you and I are talking to somebody, maybe at skating rink this afternoon, uh, <clears throat> that's not a Jesus follower, maybe has very little knowledge of God, uh, our goal is probably not going to get them to believe, but just to begin to believe, begin to trust, begin to look at the evidence. Because in reality, seeing is believing, isn't it? I'm a skeptic, but when I see something, then I believe it. So that's chapter 2. Chapter 3, some of you will know, is a story of a guy named Nicodemus that comes to Jesus. And he's a religious leader, but he wants to find out about Jesus in the secret at night. And Jesus starts talking about being born again, and he's confused about that. <laughs> and he's talking about eternal life. And then some of you will know John 3.16, uh, that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have, again, eternal life. So there's this long uh, dialogue between Jesus and, <clears throat> and Him in chapter 3. Then we get to chapter 4. There's another story about Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, let's put the map up here so we kind of tell people where we're going here. Jer Jerusalem's down here, just off to the left of the Dead Sea. And so Jesus is heading back up north to Galilee, up there by the Sea of Galilee. And about halfway up or three a third of the way up, he comes to Sychar. Now, most Jews wouldn't go through Samaria. They went around it. But Jesus went through it, and then we have this story, we call it the woman at the well, this kind of lady of <laughs> questionable character, and Jesus starts to talk to her about, not being born again, about water that you'll never drink, that you'll never thirst again, and she's confused, but they had this dialogue, and eventually comes to believe, and she goes into town, and she tells people, and the people, even though I don't know why they would trust her, they believe what she says, and she, they come and spend time with Jesus, and they also believe. And so, by the time we get to the end of chapter 4, he's back up in Cana. That's where we were last week. It's just to the left, or just below the, the word Galilee. He's back up in Cana, in Galilee, where he grew up, in that area. So, we're going to pick up the story at the end of chapter 4. <clears throat> so, as Jesus traveled through Galilee, came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine, there was a government official in a nearby Capernaum, I didn't point that out to you, it was just above the Dead Sea of Galilee, about 20 miles in between, and in those days you normally walked places, so that's about a full day's walk. There was an official there, now he might have had a horse or chariot because he was an official. Uh, he, lived, he was in Capernaum where his son was very sick. Now last week the sign was about happy occasion, a wedding. This week's sign is going to be about a sad, heartbreaking uh, situation. A son who was very sick, close to death. Now, experts believe this guy was probably a Sadducee, not a Pharisee, but a Sadducee. Most of them were. And they didn't believe in eternal life. And 
they were more intellectual, and they believed uh, that life was just lived for God's glory, and they believed in what we would call probably fate. And so they didn't really believe in prayer. Whatever's going to happen was going to happen, fatalistic. So that's really significant when we get to this story because son's sick, whatever's going to happen to my son is going to happen to my son. That would be a Sadducee's theology. But something happens to your theology when your son gets sick, doesn't it? And that's exactly what happens to this, this man. So he, interesting, back then how communication, people knew stuff, right, without cell phones. Communication. He heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, back up from Jerusalem. He went, and this word begged is literally begged and begged and begged. Son is sick, comes to Jesus, and he begs and begs. Then he'd come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. So Jesus evidently had healed some other folks, and so he said, well, I can just get him to come to my house my son, maybe he can heal my son. He was desperate. Doctors said they couldn't do anything else. He was, their son was dying. And we can imagine there's a wife, there's a mom involved in this. In fact, the wife might have sent him off, please go get uh, Jesus and bring him back here for our son. And I can imagine him wrestling with the fact, well, if I leave, I might be gone when he dies. And I want to be here. And for whatever reason, he, he goes. And again, if he had a horse or something, he could get there three hours or whatever it might take to go to 20 miles. And again, he's desperate. Now, many of us, probably all of us at some time in life have been in desperate situations. And most of you know, they've been around here for years, that our daughter-in-law got sick and we prayed and prayed and, and she died. So, uh, like, a, like a child to us. Uh, so we can relate to this situation and everybody else has their own situations. Uh, but they're desperate, and they're praying, and they want some answer. They want hope. And then the next thing Jesus says, according to John's account, seems a little insensitive, but really it wasn't. It was a uh, statement of fact, actually. He said this. And he's not just talking to this man. He's talking to the crowd, because wherever Jesus was, there was a crowd. You folks will never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders. Yeah, no, we're not going to. (laughs) Disciples, they were up and down. So, seeing is believing. So, yeah, you're not going to believe until you see. And you're about, they're not actually going to see it. They're going to hear about it. So then the official says, Lord, please, again, begging. Come now. Don't wait. My little boy is dying. Please come before he dies. Now, this is a government official. Jesus is just some local rabbi. So in the pecking order of things, he was more important than Jesus. But when you use the word Lord, what does that mean? That means you're more important than me. I might be a government official, but if you can heal my son... I'm submitting to you, you're more important to me. And for whatever reason, this man had a confidence in the fact that Jesus could heal his son. But also in his reasoning, he 
thought there was two options. Here's the two options. Jesus, come with me, and maybe my son will be healed. I'm hoping he will be. But if you refuse to come, my son is going to die. Now, I kind of laugh when I read this because you ever give God options? <laughs> kind of funny, right? Because there's a third option this guy didn't think of. And that's what we're going to see in the story. But for whatever reason, this man trusts the testimony of other people who had seen Jesus do miraculous things. And one thing I was reading said this, and maybe if I go home without you, Jesus, there's not going to be one death but two in our household. My wife's not going to be very happy. Two options, Jesus, come with me or my son dies. Jesus says, no, 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 there's another option. So Jesus says this guy, next verse, go back home, okay? Just go back home. Your son's going to live. Uh, Jesus, you're not coming with me? No, I don't need to come. Son's going to live. And the text says, and the man believed what Jesus said. He started home. He believed what Jesus said. That he saw his son? No. And if you're a Jesus follower, this story is yours and my lifetime in a nutshell. Every day we get up, and when we go to lay our head on a pillow at night, we believe what Jesus said. That's how we live our lives, right? I believe what Jesus said, that I don't go through life alone, that he's in control, and I believe that he's taking care of my sin issue, and I have a relationship with God. I can talk to God anytime I want. One of these days, I'm going to die, and I can spend eternity with him in heaven. That's how I live my life as a Jesus follower. And we all had unanswered prayer, like those folks in the hospital with Dr. Collins. I shouldn't say unanswered prayer. Prayers that weren't answered the way we wanted, right? God answers all prayers. And in that situation, we can shake our fist at God, or we can say, no, God, I trust you. I trust what you said. And this is critical. This is really important if you're a Jesus follower for one big reason. People are watching you. You don't know who's watching you. But people are watching you thinking, okay, if this Christianity thing is real, they should deal with life a little different than I am. I'm falling apart. Are they falling apart? Not that we don't grieve and shed tears. But we go through life with joy and peace in spite of circumstances. And the greatest impact you can have in this life, in the lives of other people, especially in them coming to a saving faith in, in God, is the way you deal with adversity. You can say it this way. He, this man, behaves as if what Jesus said could be trusted. Go home. Your son's going to live. What did he do? He went home. He didn't insist Jesus come with him. Kind of a churchy way we say it is this way. He walked home by faith, not by sight. Didn't see his son well, 
Jesus said his son would be well. And his decision to trust Jesus and your decision to trust Jesus and my decision to trust Jesus radically changes our life. And I can go through life without falling apart when every tragedy comes. And I can face death without fear. And I imagine when this guy gets home, his wife is saying, oh, where's Jesus? Uh, well, he said uh, <laughs> he didn't need to come. So then the story really gets interesting. Man starts going home. On his way home, some of his servants met him with the news. So the boy got well. The mom, most likely, sent some of the servants to maybe tell her husband, you don't need to bring Jesus. Our son's okay. So they said, ah, oh, the son's alive and well. Now, I ask this interesting question. Again, the detail here. This isn't made-up stuff. This is a recording of what actually happened. He asked them what the boy... Uh, next verse. He asked them, when the boy had begun to get better, why did he ask that question? Wasn't it enough that the boy was better? No. Yesterday afternoon, again, detail, <laughs> at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. 1 o'clock. Fever, gone. And then what does the text tell us? Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus told him, your son will live. Coincidence? No. He knew better. No coincidence here. Jesus said it, it happened. Seeing, now believing. And the text says he and his entire household believed Jesus. And then the end of that chapter says this. This was the second miraculous sign. We're on week two, we're at second sign. Second sign was healing this boy from a distance after Jesus coming from Judea. So walking by faith is living each day of your life, your life, my life, as if. What Jesus said is true. Next slide. Walking by faith is living each day of your life as if what Jesus said is true. Not wishful thinking, not hoping, but believing. And Jesus said, when you, when you kind of struggle with this, think about this way. You have a perfect heavenly Father. In fact, God requested that we call Him our heavenly Father. A perfect heavenly father. Now, we all have fathers. None of them are perfect. But can you imagine what a perfect heavenly father is like? Especially a God that's all-powerful. I can ask him anything. He's going to do whatever needs to be done, the best way it needs to be done, because he's a perfect, loving, heavenly father. That changes everything. Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection for the last time, and he said to them, he gives them a little dialogue, um, sorry guys, i got to leave again, <laughs> but that's okay, I'll be back, but in the meantime, I'll, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He said, in the meantime, I want you to demonstrate what he would describe as a unique brand of love. I want you to love one another like I have loved you. Nobody's ever seen this before. 
And this is going to inspire you, and it's going to inspire others to believe. And so the verse just before uh, John explains his reason for writing this, it says this. He's, he's dealing with Thomas. Some of you remember that story about Thomas? He says, you believe because you've seen me. He, seen, he saw the nail scars. He said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Any of you seen the nail scars? I haven't seen them. 2,000 years, most people haven't seen them. But we believe. Why do we believe? As John said again, these are written so that you continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. By believing in Him, you have life in the power of His name. We believe in the testimony of the people who saw and touched it. John 20, 31, next slide. <clears throat> and so we, if Jesus follows, we've responded to that. If you're not, you've not responded to that to this point. And one of the things that I hear is, well, if I saw that, <laughs> yeah, I, I would believe too. Well, for some of us, we've seen in spite of people. <laughs> that's kind of like a miracle, isn't it? People going through the toughest times with joy and with peace. For those without Jesus, that's a miracle. And maybe you've seen something else we'd consider a miracle. And I want to leave you something that I consider maybe the hardest part of being a human, trying to connect with God. To live as if, again, as if, you really are loved unconditionally. Just the way you are. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, God loves you unconditionally. That's my prayer for you as you go through this week. Let's pray. We'll have a song. We'll let you go. <clears throat> Father God, thank you. We thank you for this story, this sign that Jesus is the Messiah, that he had uh, godly power because he was God. And he did these things so that people would believe, not just because the boy was sick. Other people were sick and died. He didn't heal them. But this one he did to help those people to believe and to help us 2,000 years later believe. And one of the best ways we can help others believe is to be in spite of people. To go through life as if what Jesus said is true. As if we are loved unconditionally. People are going to notice. People are going to be inspired. Whether it's Dr. Collins your neighbor, the person you work with, go to school with, whoever it might be. God, we thank you for those opportunities <laughs> to be like. Maybe we have, be able to have a conversation this, this afternoon at, at the skating rink. We pray for opportunities, God, for us to proclaim, to testify, to share the difference Jesus makes. And if you're without Jesus this morning, and maybe you're at that point of wanting to step across that line, all you need to say, yes, Jesus, I believe. Enter into God's family. And you too can have peace and joy. We thank you in Jesus' name.